Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Glory to God. I'm going to preach a message that I've preached several times over the years, and this is one of those that the Lord gave me that uh, uh, needs to be repeated every now and then. You know, some things we need to hear, you know, every so, not every week or or maybe even every year. And uh, for some reason, I didn't make a note of the last time I preached this. I have no idea how long ago it's been. It might have only been last year. I don't know. Uh, Usually I make a note of those things. And for some reason, I don't have a note on this one. But um, it's all right. Praise the Lord. When the Holy Ghost gives you something, it, it bears repeating. Amen. And so the title of this message is Five Easy Steps to backsliding and how not to take them. Five, I used to have four steps. When the Lord gave it to you, originally it was four steps and I've added one. Don't mess with me, don't make me add another step. Because I can, I could add more steps. But we have five easy steps to backsliding and fortunately we're gonna talk about how not to take those steps. Now, the reason they're easy steps, you know, on TV, you watch commercials sometimes and they say, it's simple and it's easy. Everybody likes something simple and easy. Well, the thing about backsliding is it's simple and it's easy. Anybody can do it. In fact, it's so easy to do, you have to, you have to, to be diligent not to. Amen? Because three of these five things, it simply involve neglect, certain things that we neglect. And so uh, we're going to talk about backsliding tonight. And, uh, and first of all, uh, what is backsliding? Go with me, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 8. I got those two numbers crossed there. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse number 5. Jeremiah chapter 8. The reason I want you to see this in the Bible is the term backsliding is not a Baptist invention. It's not something that a preacher came up with. It's from the Bible. The term is in the scriptures, amen? Glory to God. Jeremiah chapter eight, verse number five says, why has this people slidden back? Jerusalem in a perpetual backsliding. Jerusalem in a perpetual backsliding. And then turn back to the seventh chapter and look at the 24th verse, chapter seven, verse 24. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their own evil hearts and went backward and not forward. So backsliding is going backward in the things of God instead of going forward. We should always be going forward. We talk a lot about the the high an upward call of God. God is always calling us higher. He's always calling us forward. We need to be advancing in God, not going backward. Backsliding is, is going backward. Notice it says, you did not obey or incline your ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of your own heart and went backward. Go, backsliding is following your own way and your own will and will and your own plans instead of God's way 
instead of following after God's plan and following after God's will for your life, it's easy when we, when we allow some of these things we're gonna be talking about tonight to creep in, it's easy to, to uh, begin to put self on the throne and what we want and what our flesh wants and what uh, appeals to our natural man uh, and and backside and not all of those things are necessarily wrong. It's when they get out of uh, of their pr- place and priority in our lives. And so uh, backsliding is going back and doing our own thing. Go with me to Proverbs the fourteenth chapter, Proverbs fourteen. <clears throat> Hallelujah, and and look at verse number fourteen. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways. Now this tells us something else, that backsliding starts in the heart. I said backsliding starts in the heart. Backsliding doesn't start in outward things. It always starts in the heart, in going your own way in your heart, not purposing to follow after God. But the problem is, he said the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways. I don't want to be filled with my own ways. I want to to be filled with God's ways. I don't want my own plans to come to fruition. I want God's plans. I learned a long time ago that, that God's plans are better than my plans. They're better for me. Now, a lot of times we have a tendency as humans to think we know what is best And sometimes we don't consult the Lord and we follow after something that we think is right and good only to find out that it turns sour in the end. And a lot of times, if we're honest, we'd go back and say, you know, I never even prayed about this. I never even got the mind of the Lord. Remember in James, it talks about the person he counseled, those who who say, uh, you know, I'm gonna go here and I'm gonna go there and tomorrow I'm gonna do this and do that and go to another city and buy and sell and get profit. And he said, you ought to say, if the Lord will, we will go here and there and do this and that. Isn't that right? And so uh, the the backslider will have to suffer uh, the consequence of his own ways. And that that fits with the New Testament. The New Testament says, do not be uh, deceived, God is not mocked. I like another translation, I think it's the Phillips translation. It says, uh, do not have uh, any, uh, and I've just lost that, Translation, let me just look at it in my Bible. I've got it written, in, written down. And this is in Galatians chapter six, of course. He said, uh, do not be under any illusion, I think is the way that is written. Yeah, do not be under any illusion. This is, this is Galatians six, number, uh, verse number eight. Uh, do not be under any illusion. You cannot make a fool of God. A man's harvest in life will depend entirely on what he has sown. That simply says you can't go one direction and reap the benefits from another direction. You can't follow after your own ways and reap God's blessing in your life. If you're gonna have God's blessing in your life, you're gonna have to pursue him. I said you're gonna have to pursue him. That's kind of almost a forgotten concept in a lot of churches today, pursuing God, seeking God, seeking God's way. 
And if you're gonna walk in the fullness of the blessing of God, you have to have a heart that goes after God, that seeks God, that wants God's fullness. I, I think any of us, if we're honest, would have to admit that we can have more of God in our life. We can have a greater experience with God. We can have a, a, a greater uh, 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 presence of God in our lives. And so the person who's hungry after God pursues God. And many times to do that, you have to correct your paths. If you don't make corrections in your path along the way, there's a good chance you are backsliding. If you're not, let me say that again. If you're not making corrections in your path along the way, there's a good chance you are in the process of backsliding. Uh, ultimately, backsliding ends up in uh, just giving up, giving in to the flesh and to the world and turning your back on God. Now, we often talk about the totally backslidden person. We, we refer to sometimes people as a backslider. And in our minds, we think of a person, you know, that, that used to know God and, and was born again and was going to church and was growing in the things of God and, and, and hungry for God. And then uh, you look at them, at them now, not looking at, the, at what happened and transpired in the middle, but you look at them now and they don't go to church. They don't live for God. They're, they're living a sinful life, living as, as though they never even knew God. And we think of that person as being a backslider, but backsliding is not something that happens overnight I said backsliding is not something that happens overnight it never happens overnight amen <clears throat> backsliding is never intentional not in its early stages it's not intentional. The back, the, when you think of that person, when you, and not, not that you're thinking about somebody in particular, but when you think hypothetically of a person that is completely backslidden, and, and we all know, do you know anybody like that? Yeah, most of us know people that once was on fire for God, had a, a, an experience with God, and now they never darken the door of a church. They don't live, they don't have any Christian fruit in their life that, that you can see. They run with the crowd, a, you know, a, a sinful crowd and, and just live a, a life that has no uh, 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 appearance that they never knew, that they ever knew God. We consider that pers person completely backslidden. But like I said, uh, it didn't happen overnight and that person never intended to end up like they are. Backsliders never did not, a backslider didn't intend for this to happen. Uh, but, by the, but by the time, like I said, it, he didn't intend it. I skipped a point here. In its early stages of backsliding, the victim wasn't even aware of it. So in the early stages of backsliding, the victim is, is well, I say this, often not aware of it. Now, other people can see it. But a lot of times because a person is, is drifting away from the Lord, because they have stopped in their pursuit of God, their, their awareness of their spiritual condition immediately begins to, to fade and to falter. And they're not even aware of that they're backsliding. We need to love one another enough that when we see our brother sliding back, we love one another enough to go after them and, and speak into their life. If we do this sooner rather than later, it's more likely to have a positive effect. 
I, I never will forget when I was a young man, uh, got back into fellowship with the Lord. I started going back to the church that I had gone to when I was younger. And uh, there was a, a revival on in that church and there were a lot of new young people, uh, young adults attending church. And there was a fellow there. He and uh, I knew him in high school. I wasn't real close friends with him, but I knew him. We had a large uh, uh, graduating class, four or 500 people in our, you know, students in our, in our senior class in high school. And so I didn't know him real well. I knew the, the girl that he married. I didn't know they had gotten married till I saw him uh, in church and, and, and they came in and I knew her, been a good friend of hers in school. And, uh, you know, he, he was on fire for God and just involved in everything. But some of us young people in the church, young adults in the church, we noticed, his name was Wayne. We noticed that Wayne began to just slide a little bit. His zeal for God began to, you could just see that he was cooling off. And, uh, uh, and then he started you know, missing church once in a while when he never used to miss church. And you know what? Nobody wanted to offend him. We didn't want to hurt his feelings and call him out and say, man, you know, you need to get right and, 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 and that sort of thing. And so, you know, I know I saw it, but as a young, as a young person, I, I was not experienced in this and I didn't know what to do and I didn't want to offend him. So we didn't offend him. We didn't. We didn't offend him. We just left him alone and he backslid. Wasn't that lovely of us? What walking in love we, we exhibited because we didn't offend him. See, nobody spoke to him. And as far as I know, I, you know he, he completely backslid, completely quit going to church. Now, his, his wife continued to come for a while. But uh, he went back you know, to, to using drugs and the, and the lifestyle that he had come out of. And uh, to this day, I don't, you know, I've lost contact with him. I hope he came back to God. But, but you know, we sat by and let that happen. And I'll never forget that. I mean, it made such an impact on my life. I, I, I purposed in my heart right then, if I have somebody that's close to me, a close friend, a, a person in the Lord, you know, that's close to me, and I see them drifting back, I'm gonna reach out to that person and encourage them to, to seek after God. Do that quickly while a person still has a heart for that. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, by the time... We're, we're, we're thinking about that hypothetical backslider, that person that, that you've thought of, you know, that was completely backslidden. Uh, like I said, in, in early on, he didn't see it. Other people could see it. By the time he realized that he wasn't as close to the Lord as he used to be, he was very ill-prepared to do anything about it. Because by this time, you know, he has fallen and his, and his strength, his spiritual strength is, is weakened. And by this time, he's so discouraged because he feels like he's failed. He feels like he's let God down. He feels like he's let the church down. He feels like he's let his friends down. And, uh, and so it's just, a, it's just a, a terrible downhill slide. And, you know, strongholds are being developed in that person's life. And, um, and eventually... He just gave up. He didn't uh, at the outset just make a decision, I'm not going to serve God. He, he, most of the time he just in despair and condemnation and guilt and frustration, uh, he just gave up and felt like, well, you know, I, I just can't live a godly life. Uh, and so in conclusion, 
Backsliding is gradual, it's subtle, and it's very deadly. We ought to be concerned when we sense in any way in our lives that we're not as on fire as we used to be or when we see other people around us that aren't as on fire as they used to be. We need to pray for them. Amen? I I know Pastor Greg talked about someone not too long ago. It was a woman that that he ministered to a number of years ago. She used to come to our church. And, uh, you know, she she loved God and was on fire for God. But she, you know, she, she fell into, she backslid. And, uh, you know, she made some decisions in her life about our lifestyle that were ungodly. And so Pastor Greg was a, you know, was a friend of, of this young woman and he went and talked to her and he said, you know, you, the direction you're going is wrong and you know it's wrong. You know what you're doing is not right. The way you're living is not right. And, uh, and you know, she got mad at him. She said, you know, if you, if you were my friend, you would support me in these decisions that I've made. And he said, I can't support you in the decisions you've made. They're wrong. You know from the scriptures they're wrong. And finally, this one young woman admitted to him, I, I know what I'm doing is unscriptural. I know it's wrong. I know it. And, uh, and, and, and she said, I don't intend to live like I'm living right now. I don't intend to live this way forever. Uh, this, is, this is a period of time in my life I've made a decision to pursue this lifestyle. It, I'll tell you right now, it was a lesbian lifestyle. And she said, I, I've chosen to do this right now. And, and Pastor Greg, you know, pleaded with her. Don't, don't, you know, you know better than this. And she said, I know what I'm doing is wrong. She said, but it's, it's the decision I've made for right now. And if you were my friend, you would support me in this. And he said, no, I, I can't do that. It's, uh, you know, I love you. I love you enough to, to, to reach out to you. And he said, you know, the danger is when you persist in going against God, when you persist in following a plan that you know is unscriptural, you know what you're doing is wrong. It's, there's no question about it. The Bible says it's wrong. And you persist in doing that. You, you run the risk of eventually reaching a place where you don't want God in your life at all. And, and Pastor Greg told this, this woman this, this young woman. He said, you know, you run the risk of, of one day completely turning your back on, on Christ and, and renouncing Christ. And you know what she said? She said, that's a risk I'm willing to take. That's a risk I'm willing to take. That was how many years ago? Long, 15, 20 years ago. Still in that lifestyle. It's a, it's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing. Well, uh, we've talked about what backsliding is, but let's talk about the steps to backsliding and how to not take those steps. Number one, the first step in backsliding, go with me to Revelation chapter two. Revelation two. Verse number four. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. The first step toward backsliding is leaving your first love. 
And I'm not talking about your sweetheart from junior high. I'm talking about your love for the Lord. Listen, we should always stay tender toward the Lord. We should always stay in a place where we are affectionate and, we're, and we seek after God and we love God. We cannot allow ourselves to become calloused, indifferent, or take God for granted. You remember when you first came to the Lord? You remember how, how, in, in how much in love you were with him when you realized what he had done for you, that he had died on the cross for you and he'd poured his life out and, and you came to him and you surrendered you all, your all to him and, and nothing in life was more important than Jesus. You remember that? Well, we should always stay that way. And you have to, you have to work at keeping your heart tender. You have, to, you have to return to that place. He said here, you have left your first love. What was the remedy? He said, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. So first of all, you have to remember, then you have to repent, and then you have, excuse me, to return, the three R's. Remember, repent, and return. You have, like I said a few minutes ago, you have to keep your heart tender. Now, I came from a church background where uh, in, in, in our Pentecostal denomination, we, 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 had this, we had altars on, in the front of the church. Now, they were wooden altars. They were about this, this tall and about, and about this deep, you know, and they were, you know, long. They were in three or four sections across the front of the church. And, uh, and we would come to the altar to pray. And in, in our denomination, in the church of God, we believed God was down at that altar. I mean, it, that wasn't a doctrinal statement. It was just from experience. We knew when we came to, to the altar, God would meet us in the altar. Now, you know, you, you kind of you laugh at that because we know God will meet you anywhere. You don't, have to, you don't have to be at a kneeling altar, but that was just where, that's just where we came. And in fact, you know, it got a little extreme in some sense, you know, because, because we almost idolized those altars. You know, and, and I remember when we built a new church and the big brouhaha about what to do with the old altars because they didn't look nice in the new church. Because they were beat up, you know, they were scarred up. You know, people had, had, had prayed and sought God and, and um, you know, they, they just didn't fit in the new building. And so the idea is, well, you know, we'll replace them, put some new altars. And oh, no. Oh, no, we can't get rid of the altars. You see, you see this section right here? You see all those stains on the altars? Those were my tear stains. This is where I prayed through right here. And, and I remember, and I just prayed, this is a holy ground for me. And so everybody had their little place in the altar, you know. Now, I, this is funny, but what I'm describing is a, 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 a culture where we were tender to the things of God. And, 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 and we spent time in his presence together. And we, we should never lose that. Now, we were big criers. I've said this, that the church of God, I'm talking about the, the denomination I, I grew up in, we had the best preachers of any of the Pentecostal denominations. 
I mean, there, there, were, there were preachers in the church of God that could, I mean, flat preach. I mean, they preach on hell. You could feel the heat all around you, you know. <laughs> we had the best preachers and we had the best criers. Now, you think I'm making fun. It is kind of comical, but, uh, but, but you know, some, and, and listen, I'm all for crying. I still, this, today, I, I wasn't, this was, I wasn't crying about God's goodness so much as I was thinking about, I was preparing for my meetings out in California and I was thinking about the lost and the world and, and, and tears begin to flow down from my, from my eyes when I begin to sense, you know, the lost condition of people. And it touched my heart. We need to always stay in a place where God can touch our hearts. And never be ashamed of that. And if you haven't spent time in the presence of God, if you haven't been in the presence of God lately, to, to the place where you're just overwhelmed with his, with his grace and his mercy and his love that, that, that tears well up in your eyes, you, you probably need to grow, to grow uh, 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 close to the Lord again. Amen, I believe in that. We don't, we don't define our life by our emotions. I'm not saying that. But uh, you know, we, like I said, in the church of God, we cried over everything. We'd sing, we cried over a lot of stuff we shouldn't have cried over. There were songs we'd sing, you know, and they're full of doubt and unbelief and we'd cry. <laughs> I remember Brother Hagin said one time at Ramah, talking about those years, you know, he came out of Pentecostal traditions like that. He said, he said there were times we really thought we were getting blessed but we weren't because it was unscriptural. But, but the point is our heart was tender. We need to maintain that tenderness toward God. And the only way you can do that is there's another old expression. You have to keep your all on the altar. Do you know what that, you know what that means? You have to stay dedicated before God. You have to keep yourself consecrated consecrated. In the Old Testament, the altar was, was where they came to offer their sacrifices before the Lord. It was a place of consecration, a place of laying down their own life and, and surrendering to God's plan and God's will. We need to keep everything in our life on the altar in that sense. Anything you want to do with me, Lord, anything you want to, to speak into my life, if there's anything where I can, where I can change or I, can, I can, can draw closer to you, I'm open, Lord. I want you to speak into my life. We need to keep that. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, that's the first step. It's not doing that. How, how do you do that? You just grow cold and indifferent to the things of God. The things of God don't move you much when you're beginning to backslide, not like they used to. You can, you, can, you can get in a service and somebody will get up and testify of how good God's been in their life and, and it touches people and, and, and they begin to rejoice and you can just sit there and go, oh, and it not affect you at all. There have been times right here in this, in this, in this auditorium where people have gotten up and just begin to, to share and, and, and just begin to get emotional and begin to weep over the goodness of God and people sit back in the congregation and go, well, there he goes again, crying again. That's a horrible place to be. I said, that's a horrible place. That's a backslidden condition. Amen. We need to stay tender to the Lord. Number two First is leaving your first love. Number two is losing your love for the word of God. Hallelujah. Turn with me to uh, Samuel and go with me to chapter three, 1 Samuel. 
1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. That simply says that there was no prophet. That's what that's talking about. There were no prophets in the land uh, at this time. The prophetic office had grown silent. And so there was no one there with a fresh prophetic word. And so God raised up Samuel to, uh, to be a prophet and to lead Israel. But I like, I know that this is what this means, that, that the word of the Lord was rare. But in the older King James, I like that expression. It says the word of the Lord was precious. You know, we need, the word of, of the word of the Lord needs to stay precious. It needs to stay important in our lives. It needs to stay, it needs to stay central in our lives. It, it, the word of God needs to be something that we feed on. Don't just read the Bible, feed on the Bible. It would, I've, tell, I've told uh, this congregation this all of my ministerial life. It, it's better to take a small portion of scripture and really feed on it and meditate in it and reflect on it and let it, and let it feed you and minister to you than try to read several chapters a day. Now, all of those things are good. I do both, but, but the, if, you, if you don't have time to do both, make time in your schedule to just get before the Lord and his word and just feed on it. Yeah. Just feed on the word of God. What's he been dealing with you about? If the Lord's dealing with you about something and leading you and you seem to be drawn in a particular direction, get into the Bible on that. Let it become alive to you again. Amen. Leaving your love for the word of God uh, is, is, a, is a, a, a huge step toward backsliding. Now, turn with me to Psalm 119. The 119th Psalm is a wonderful Psalm in uh, just refreshing in yourself in, in the love of God and the love of the word of God. Go with me over to verse number 97. Verse 97 says, Oh, how I love your law. Of course, when the psalmist wrote this, he was talking about the Bible, the Old Testament. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your precepts, I, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false word. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my, to my path. And then verse number 107, it says, revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Hallelujah. Both of these things, the, the first step and the second step happen as a result of neglect. We neglect our fellowship with the Lord. When we neglect our fellowship, we can grow indifferent to him. When we neglect the word of God, the word of God ceases to be important. It ceases to thrill us like it once did. 
Listen, if you listen to me tonight and you detect, you know, this kind of sounds like me a little bit. I really don't, uh, I don't really have that tenderness that I used to have toward the Lord. I don't really seek after him. You know, there's a scripture over in Jeremiah that I like. That I like. The Lord said, I remember your youth. And when you first came to me, how you went after me in the wilderness. Go over there with me. That's, that's a good verse. It's in uh, 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 Jeremiah, is that two? Let me see. Let me see if I can find it. I think it's two. Two, two? Yeah. Jeremiah 2, chapter 2, verse 2. I remember you, the kindness of your youth, and the betrothal, the love of your betrothal. Betro- she always tricks me up on this. Betrothal, excuse me. Betrothal. Tricky word. It's not a word we use very often, is it? Betrothal. The love of your, he said, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal. When, when you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. I, that speaks to my heart because when I first got back into fellowship with the Lord, I, uh, I didn't know there were any blessings associated with it in terms of you know, that God would prosper me or he had victory for me. I didn't come out of a church that taught those things. But I was backslidden and away from God and, and when I got back to him, I was just so hungry for his presence. I just wanted to be in his presence all the time. And he said, uh, when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown, See, see that, that, was, that was the condition I was in. I, didn't, I hadn't had any seed in the ground. I hadn't sown anything. I, I couldn't expect any blessings. I didn't even know there were blessings to expect. So I hadn't sown anything. I wasn't looking for anything. It was just God. I just wanted God in my life. I wanted his presence. And, and uh, uh, if you remember being like that and you're not like that anymore, well, then you've, you've, you've taken the first step of recovery. You've remembered. Remember from where you're falling, but fall, and then repent and do the first works. Amen? And then secondly, your love for the word of God, same thing. Don't neglect the word. Put the word first. Put the word first in your life. Start your day out or have some time in the day that you... Listen, if you don't make definite plans for the word some point in your life, you will not have time. Life will take you over, sweep right by you, and you will go for days and days and days. And, and maybe the only time you read your Bible is when you're reading it in church. <laughs> I remember years ago, we had a, a guest speaker and uh, I didn't know him. I, I invited him on a recommendation of somebody else. And so he came and I remember he was talking to me one day, one day and he said, you know, Edwin, he said, uh, sometimes we just need to go on vacation. He said, it's just good to go on vacation. Just get away. And he's a minister, so-called minister of the gospel. He said, sometimes you just need, as a pastor, you just need to go away, get away, and don't read your Bible or pray or anything. Just get completely, just go out and go on vacation. And I thought, well, that's a stupid statement. So I should, I should go on vacation 
for, for a few days, not feed my spirit, not fellowship with God, and somehow that's going to refresh me? No. But you know what? If we're honest, you know, I've been, I've been walking with the Lord now, you know, 40-something years, and, and if we're honest, there have been times like that. Yeah. And when you, go, when, you, when, you, when you do that, you immediately start slipping back. So you have to discipline yourself to, put, to, to make time for God every day. Make time for his word. Every day, every day, every day. Praise the Lord. The third step towards backsliding is idolatry. Idolatry. Now, we, a lot of times we think of idolatry, you know, in the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament concept, uh, but it's a very real danger today. Go with me over to Colossians chapter 3. Idolatry just doesn't just belong in the Old Testament. It's not just an Old Testament danger or threat. <clears throat> Colossians, third chapter. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. You know, you have to crucify the flesh. Is anybody aware of that? This is what this is talking about. Put to death your members. That means crucifying your flesh. If you don't crucify your flesh, it'll take over. Crucify, put to death your members which are on the earth it's not talking about your fellow church members, by the way. <laughs> Put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire. Now, you know all those are no-nos. You know, you, you, if, if you know a Christian who is uh, committing these kinds of things, you know, you know right away they're in trouble. Serious trouble. You, you, can't, you can't play around with this stuff. Well, covetousness. Covetousness. Which is idolatry. Covetousness is a very real danger today. Why in the world would John, you know, we, we turn, turn with me over to uh, 1 John chapter 5. He closes his book out. 1 John 5, the very last verse, little children, keep yourself from idols. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Why in the world would the Apostle John, the, the, uh, the great apostle of love, who's always talking about the love of God, why would he warn about idolatry? Simply because when your love for God begins to grow cold, your love for things will begin to, to warm up. When your love for God begins to grow cold through these first two steps, you've, you've left your first love, you don't seek after him like you once did, you don't, uh, uh, you don't hunger for the word like you once did, your love for things will begin to heat up really quickly. Amen. What are some modern day idols that Christians have? Well, there's any number of things. Your career can become an idol to you. Your job can become an idol. 
He said, well, how, I have to have a job. I have to go to work. Yeah, you do. And, and we spend a lot of time at work. We, we spend a good portion of our time uh, pursuing our careers, and we have to. And the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. So the Bible not, is not uh, against working, having a job or career. The Bible's against loafing, not working. Isn't that right? But it's a matter of keeping, even though you have to work, you need to keep work in its proper place. Yet the things of God have to be more important than the things of this world, even things we have to do. There are things we have to do, but they don't have to steal my heart. They don't have to get between me and God. Just because I, you have to spend eight or 10 hours or whatever it is a day at work, that doesn't mean you have to, to, to allow it to, to, to separate you and your fellowship from the Lord. There is time. Somebody said, Lord, give me more time. Give me more time. The problem is we only have 24 hours. Except for a couple of, of rare exceptions, God has never lengthened a day. It's, you know, it's 24 hours. And I have found that we make time for what we want. But I just didn't have time to, I just didn't have time to pray, didn't have, no, you didn't make time. Because other things became more important. Your job, your education, your career can become an idol to you where you uh, define yourself you, you take your identity in your job. You should be a Christian before you're a school teacher or a plumber or an attorney or a construction worker or an accountant or anything else. You should be a Christian first. Amen. Not, 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 try to find some way to squeeze your Christianity in where you can. It needs to be number one. Spouse and children and or children can become idols. You can, you can so put your spouse on a pedestal that you begin to, to, to put them first even over God. I love my wife, but she knows God's first. And, and she's the same way with me. God has to be first. Amen. Amen. If you're unequally yoked together, that can cause problems. That's why you're not supposed to be unequally yoked together. You know, God's smarter than we are. And your situation is not an exception. Yeah, but this person, I just love this person. Yeah, but are they... Christian well they, they, they say listen I've heard it all and sometimes these old gals are as fooled as easily as the young ones well you know he says you know he's been coming to church and he, he, he says he's born again yeah what's the fruit in his life there are men just in case you gals don't know it, there are men who will say anything. They will say anything. They will do anything. They will come to church. 
They'll talk the talk just to get you. And there are some women the same way. I shouldn't say some, there are many. And like I said, some of, the, some of the old folks are just as easily fooled as the young ones. Amen. Well, he's, he, he says he loves the Lord. Really? Ask to look at his checkbook. Ask him to introduce you to all his friends. Give an accounting of his time. Well, praise the Lord. You know, you know this is true. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, appearing as believers. Praise the Lord. Things can be an idol, houses, lands, possessions, money, your car, your hobbies, anything. Anything in this life can get out of order and take a place it ought not take. Amen. And when it does, it becomes an idol. Some people can't come to church. Now I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight because you're here. And most of you are faithful on Wednesday nights. Of course, I'm, I'm, I've been around the block a few times and just because you come every Wednesday night doesn't mean you're faithful in everything. Amen. But a lot of people, you know, they just don't have time. They just don't have time for God because they have other things that are more important. Praise God. Recreation can become an idol. You know, recreational pursuits just having fun. Girls just want to have fun. <laughs> People just want to have fun. We, we live in a society that's drunk on fun. Everything is fun. Let's live for fun. No, let's live for God. He's more fun. Your own plans. The Bible talks about the pride of life. Can we look at that? Go over to 1 John. I don't know why I'm asking you. If we can look at it, surely we can. I'm the preacher. I'm taking that from Steve Morgan. He's always said, can we sing this again? I tell him, I said, you're the worship leader. Why are you asking us if we can sing this again? Of course we can sing this again. <laughs> he and I laugh about it. 1 John 2. Do not love the world. Verse 15. Do not love the world are the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world and the and the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Listen, keep your wagon hitched to God. 
not to the things of this world. Too many Christians are so interested in what the world thinks about them. God forbid that anybody uh, uh, not accept you. You know, we're living in a, in a culture right now where our society has embraced this groupthink kind of mentality where you have to think like everybody, you have to talk like everybody, and God forbid on certain topics you even raise your hand and say, well, well wait a minute, is there another way to look at it? I mean, you are cut down, struck down, you're, you're branded as some kind of a, of a radical. You just wait, wait a minute, I just have another, you know, there's another side. No, there's no other side to this topic. And if you have any other view, you're cast out. We live in that kind of a world. We cannot, as Christians, allow the world to put us in their mold. Amen. If it's, if it's unclean, if it's unscriptural, we have, to, we have to stand on the word of God and say, this is what I believe. I'm gonna live for God. Well, amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, what's, the, what's the cure here? The three R's. Remember, repent, and return. Hallelujah. Well, surprise, surprise, I got to three of them. I'll tell you, I'll look real quickly. It, it's not even worth doing quickly. Praise the Lord. I'll, I'll give you number four. Forsaking the assembling of yourself together. This is not, I'm not, this is not legalism, folks. This is Bible. Do not forsake, Hebrews 10 says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Do, do, do not. Now that's, a, that's, you know, there's this idea and, and Brother Christopher touched on it Sunday and he and I talked about it and, and uh, 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 sometime last year or maybe the year before, you know, months run on. But I went through the entire New Testament. Well, I went through the Acts and the Epistles and I was looking for every reference to the law. Every time the, the law was mentioned, particularly in the Epistles. The reason I didn't look at the Gospels is because Jesus was a, was a, a prophet operating under the law. The law was still in effect. And so Jesus talked about the law. In the book of Acts, there are references both ways, but when you get over in the epistles, the epistles written to the church, I looked at every single reference. I, I read through painstakingly and slowly every verse of the, of, of the New Testament or the epistles, Acts and the epistles, and I made note of every reference to the law. There are, and, and Christopher touched on this Sunday because we had talked about this on, on Saturday. There is this idea today that if you, if you give people instructions about godly living or some, uh, some uh, duty they have as a Christian, this would be one of those. The New Testament says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Do not do it. Well, if you do it, you're wrong. If you... Uh, if you compromise and, and, and stop assembling yourselves together. And you don't have to completely cut it off, but you begin to do that. It's wrong, it's wrong. Would everybody agree that the writer of Hebrews pretty much nailed that one down, it's wrong. 
There are a lot of people that say, if you, if you tell Christians, if preachers get up and say that, you're putting them under the law. We need to, we need to love God and just you know, believe he accepts us and, and, and do everything because we just want to. Listen, your flesh doesn't want to all the time. And if I do it because I'm being told to from the Bible, some sense of obligation, that's putting me under the law. So I went, I said, is that true? So I went through the New Testament and, I'm, and I recorded every location where the law is mentioned. Not one time was there any idea of a general law. See, that's what people are saying. They're saying, you're putting me under the law. The law of what? Well, the law of having to go to church or man's law. In other words, there's this, there's this general concept, oh, that's law. That's not found in the New Testament. Every single, without any exception, every single reference in the epistles to the law was a direct reference to the law of Moses. In other words, the Old Testament law with its clearly defined commandments and regulations and ordinance, every reference was to the law of Moses and every uh, 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 warning about submitting to the law was in the sense of looking to the law as a way of being justified and made right with God. Christopher talked about that Sunday because we had talked about this. I looked it up. Every reference, there's not any exception. In other words, at no time did any writer of the New Testament ever warn Christians, believers, to be careful about getting under the law in a general sense by, you know, by being, uh, you know, having to do things and having to live right and living by, you know, some kind of, of requirements from the New Testament and feeling bad if you don't obey the Bible. There, there's not any reference to or, or any warning ever that such conduct would be getting under the law because the law was the law of Moses and the, and, and the purpose was to submit to the law in order to be justified and made right with God, which is impossible. You can't be justified by the law. So this idea that when preachers get up and say, you need to stop fornicating, <laughs> you need to stop, to, to stop uh, 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 forsaking the assembling of yourself together, you, you need to break off that relationship because that person is not a Christian Oh, now you're putting people under law. No, I'm not. I'm just quoting New Testament scriptures, which is not the law of Moses. It's not the law that we're warned about. It's the law we're told to keep. It's the, I said, Paul said, I'm not without law to Christ. Well, praise the Lord. It's the truth. And I'll close with that because it's over time. Starts as neglect. Faithful church attendance is a major deterrent to backsliding. No wonder staying out of church is one of backsliding's principal steps. It's not, it, it, it's not everything, but staying in church will help you a whole lot. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. 
If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.